studying the book of Proverbs. And so today, we're going to be doing what we've been doing here recently and, and gathering a cluster of Proverbs to talk about a topic. And today's topic is friendship. I think there is a lot of value in so many different passages in, in the book of Proverbs that can really help us be better friends and help us to identify real friendship when it's happening in our lives. And so I'm actually going to start today with a, with a passage that's not in Proverbs because it's so popular when it comes to friendship. You maybe even heard this read at a wedding before. Um, and it's in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. It's read at weddings, but it's, more than it's speaking about more than just a marriage. It's, it's speaking about just relationships with your friends, relationships with others. And so it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, uh, two will withstand him. Uh, and, three, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So I read that passage just to, to state the obvious. Life is better with friends, right? Life is much better with friends. And I hope and pray that this can be an environment where true friendships are forged. This should be an environment in which real friendships happen. And that's what I want to talk about, what real friendship actually means. And so having friends is a wise thing. And being a good friend requires wisdom. These are some of the thoughts I want us to carry with us. So for the sake of clarity, what are we talking about when we're talking about true friendship? Well, we're not talking about just acquaintances, right? We'll have a lot of those in our lives. But on the flip side, we're also not talking about, you know, some extreme version or notion of friendship like we all need to be blood brothers or we need to have some sort of ritual with a necklace or matching tattoos or something like that like you know I think we could take the idea of friendship a little too far and raise the expectations so high that it's almost a little nauseating <laughs> but I mean maybe you've heard a friendship described as this as this I've heard a few fellows say this like hey a true friend is somebody that if you if you if you confess to them that you murdered somebody, they're going to get shovels and help you bury the body. That's a true friend. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> That's an accomplice to murder. That's not your friend. <laughs> You're going to be friends in jail. Uh, so, but I, I, I think probably what's mostly true is that we tend to use the, the, the notion of friendship a little loosely. Right? I mean, we live in a day and an age in which we have quote-unquote friends, thousands of friends, thousands of friends on, online. And, and sometimes it's those people who have thousands of friends online uh, that are the loneliest people. Because we know that, you know, you may have some very genuine friends that you're friends with on social media, uh, but all those people can't be your friends, right? There's actually a proverb for that to get started. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, it says, A man of many friends comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I mean, having a, having a true friend, even, even having one true friend is superior to having a thousand casual friends, right? And so I think it's identifying those people in your life that you would put in the friendship category. That, that's, that takes wisdom, and I think being a friend takes wisdom as well. So again, let's take those thoughts with us as we jump into 
the book of Proverbs today. I, you know, I, there's, there's another verse outside of Proverbs that I want to share with us before we, we get in, into it. Uh, when you think of friendship in Scripture, one of the friendships that stands out whenever you're reading through the Bible is in 1 Samuel. When you hear the description of King Saul's son, Jonathan, and his friendship to David. There's actually a verse in 1 Samuel that describes how Jonathan feels about David and, and what their friendship means to him. And I think it gives you and I an idea of a, of a healthy definition of what friendship is. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, it says, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. I really kind of, I thought that would be a great verse to kind of just put in the back of our minds as we think about friendship today. Because when we think about true friendship, I think there's a genuine soul care for another person. Like when you just, not, not just caring for them outwardly, but just caring for who they are, they're caring for, for their actual soul. We want to be that type of friend to other people. And we want other people to be a friend like that to us. So I think what we learn when we get into these Proverbs is that you know you're in a good friendship when your friendship makes you better and you make that friend better. And I think specifically talking about in the, in the, in the category of holiness as well. So Proverbs 27, 17 is a really popular verse to think about this. It says, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. You might be more familiar with the New Living Translation uh, version of this verse because it's what's all, on all the coffee mugs. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. It's, it's a really popular version. Of, but I, I do like that version, and I think it fits the meaning of that particular verse. When you're in a true friendship, there's a, there's a mutual cost and a mutual benefit when you're in a real friendship. You sharpen one another. You improve them and their life, and they improve you and your life. And so there's, there's cost and benefit in both directions here. And I think one of the reasons that in a true friendship you begin to really and truly sharpen one another is because the deeper that friendship gets, the, the, the more intimate that friendship gets over time, the more you're able to talk about stuff and just be real with one another. The more transparent you can be. You know, the, the stronger friendship you have, the more transparency tends to exist. And when that happens, it can be awkward at times. There can be some friction at times. And real friendships make it through that awkwardness and make it through that friction. It's iron sharpens iron. That's the whole point of that analogy there in Proverbs. You know, when you think of sharpening a knife and using iron to sharpen iron or whatever it may be, there's a friction, there's sparks that take place. It's uncomfortable. Whenever you're in a true friendship, there can be moments in which it's just downright uncomfortable, but uncomfortable in a beneficial way because it's sharpening who you are and it's sharpening who they are. But if you want a real friendship like that, you have to be able to endure. You have to be able to have a lot of relational capital built up before you get to that point. You don't get, get to just have that overnight. But you need to invest in one another over the course of time before you can just say things or, or get involved in someone's life in a, in a friendship kind of way. You know, I was, I was speaking uh, at a conference here uh, several weeks back, and several different uh, pastors were, were speaking there, and I, I missed on that Sunday morning here. 
um, because I was there. But one of the other pastors was speaking. And, and so we're, we're, we're buds, right? We're, 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 we're friends. We've been building a friendship, but we're not like blood brother friends. Like, like, <laughs> like we're not like super dude. But we're getting there. We're building a lot of relational capital over time. Well, one of these other pastors was preaching. I was sitting in the front row about right where Stephen is, and I was, I was listening to him speak, and he was, speaking, he was preaching a really good sermon, and, and he spit. And this piece of spit, it, it went into the air, but it was still attached to him, and it wrapped back around to his lip and hit his chin, and he had no idea. And so now he, there's like slobber coming down his chin. <laughs> like I was in this moment, do, do I say something? Do I, do I give him one of these? Do I, I'm, I, was, I was like wanting so badly, but I, I wasn't on my turf, right? I was, I was in another church, and their church was a little, not a, a little more formal. It was very much more formal than what we are. And so, you know, I, I just, like, if you see a booger on my nose and you guys don't say something, like, you better say something here, okay? Don't leave me hanging up here. But I didn't feel like I could say anything. I wanted to so badly. But, you know, that's a silly example. But aren't there times in which you experience circumstances like that? In which you think, man, if I was a little, if I was a little closer to them, I might say something right now. Uh, if I was a little more intimate in my relationship with them, I, I might feel like I could speak up. Or, or if, this was, if, if I was on my home turf, if, if, if circumstances were just right, maybe I would speak up and say something right now. Uh, but, you know, I, I think in a true, I bring all that up to say, like, in a, in a true friendship, there's an appropriate bluntness that can take place, right? And that's a healthy thing. An appropriate bluntness. And that's, one of, that's a means by which you can sharpen one another. So the verse that I'm getting to here in Proverbs 27, verse 6, is probably another one that you're very familiar with if you've read through Proverbs. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. What a great proverb. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, You'd rather have a friend come up to you and let you know there's spit on your face than an enemy say, you look great, everything's awesome. <laughs> you, you, there's an appropriate bluntness. And whenever you forge a true, grace-filled, intentional friendship, there's an appropriate bluntness that causes you to, to benefit in a, in a special way in that friendship. But again, there needs to be a lot of relational capital built up before you get to that point. You need to be able to invest in another person for a season of time before you become their critic. I think too often some people, uh, they think, well, I'm just going to be a friend to everyone. And I'm going to be the self-appointed critic that just tells everybody like it is. And they recklessly <laughs> charge into someone's life saying that they're being their friend so that they can trash them. <laughs> or say something really hurtful or really hard. Well, you know, you need to build up some of that relational capital before you just go throwing a truth bomb uh, or, or pulling the pin on a truth grenade in someone's life. Uh, nobody, nobody likes that person. Uh, but when you truly care for someone and you're in a friendship where you sharpen one another, you can afford those comments. You can afford those comments, and those comments can be taking, taken in a way that is helpful. That's, that's true friendship. That's true iron sharpens iron friendship. And so when you have a friend like that, 
that you know is truly out for your best interest, that's someone you can listen to. Even if they say something you don't want to hear, that's somebody that's worth listening to. You can take it because you have that relationship built up over time. You know, I thought it would be a good opportunity at this spot in my sermon to encourage you. If you don't have someone like that in your life that can speak truth like that into your life, maybe it's, maybe it's not that you haven't invested in one another long enough, but maybe it's that you haven't empowered someone to speak like that to you. You know, a lot of times we just... We're, we're conflict avoidant. We don't want to say anything. We don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. But it's so beneficial to have someone like that that can speak truth into your life. Sometimes it's up to you to say to them, hey, you have built up the relational capital. You have invested in me enough to the point in which I really trust your observation of my life. And if you see me going sideways or you see me doing something dumb, you, I just want you to know you can say something. Because a lot of people just won't say anything, but I want you to know you can say something because I trust you. It could be that you don't have that person in your life because you haven't empowered someone like that to speak truth into your life. And so I would encourage you to, to do that. If you trust someone enough, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Now, if you're married, you know, you already have this a, 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 a version of that uh, friendship, right? When we, when we say oh, I married my best friend, like that's a cute thing to say. Our marriage goes beyond friendship, right? Um, but you have that dimension of your relationship in your marriage already. When your spouse critiques you, you can either spend time getting defensive or you can truly consider their critique. Isn't your spouse out for your best interest? Don't they care about your success more than anybody else on the planet Earth? So when, when Amanda comes to me and criticizes me, that doesn't always feel good. I don't get excited about those moments. It isn't in those moments that I'm like, boy, I'm glad I'm married. Love that kind of feedback. <laughs> but if she says something to me like, hey, you're being too harsh lately. Well, I may not want to hear that, but she, the motivation in her life is, is out for my best interest. I should listen to that. If she's saying, hey, you haven't spent enough time with the boys lately. I'm not going to waste my time getting defensive about that. I'll, I'll want to get defensive about that, but I'll, I don't want to waste time getting defensive about that. I want to spend my time evaluating that. There must be some truth to that. If Amanda says something is true in my life, then it's in my best interest to truly listen to her and evaluate and to find the truth in that and to think about that and vice versa, right? When, we, when you critique, critique your spouse, when you, when you say something that they may not want to hear, they should, they should receive that critique because it's beneficial to them. Well, you can have a similar type situation in a genuine friendship. And it's so advantageous to have people in your life, even beyond your marriage, if you are married, to have people in your life that can speak truth into your life in this way. And maybe you should empower someone to do that. But if you're going to be that that someone for someone else, if you're going to be that friend for someone else, you got to handle that with care. You got to be very, just, just like you need to handle that, that critique with care in your marriage, right? Tone is everything, timing is everything. You need to have the same attitude towards any sort of critique that you would have towards a friend that you really care about. Proverbs 25, 11 through 12 says this, a word fitly spoken 
is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, like a gold ring or ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like if you understand the value of a word fitly spoken, you're going to be willing to listen to that. And if you understand the value of a word fitly spoken, it's going to be a beautiful thing. You know, that imagery of that verse is, is awesome. You know, you just imagine like, you know, the, the scenery of silver, maybe plates and, and candle holders and things like that. And then right in the middle are those two golden apples that just pop. I mean, they're, 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 they're a, it's a beautiful thing. And so whenever you have a word for your friend, a critique or, or something that they need to hear, if you can just time that really well, it can be a beautiful, beautiful thing. But if you time it poorly, if you take a word that you know is going to wound them and you deliver it in a poor manner, in, a poor, in, the, in the wrong time, it can be disastrous, right? It can be like, like pouring fuel on the, on the fire. So sometimes we need to exercise a lot of patience whenever we're going to say something to a friend. If we truly want to be that for a friend, we're not going to just, you know, just rush over there and be like, oh, I, I can say this to them because we're friends and then just throw it in their face. No, you're going to time that and be patient and trust in the Lord and deliver that in, in, a, in a timely manner at, at just the right moment when, when you know that they're ready to listen, when you know that they can handle it, and they can receive it, a word fitly spoken is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so sometimes when you're waiting on delivering that, that, that word in, a, in, a, in just the right time, you got to be silent for a season. I, I think it's so true and I think it's so worth mentioning that, that sometimes it's just the right thing to do to just be quiet. Like when, you're, when a friend does something that really bothers you or that you're... you're you, you, just, you feel like something needs said, but you're just right, waiting for that moment. Sometimes silence can preserve the relationship. I think there is a time for it. Uh, in Proverbs eleven twelve, it says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Now, that, that proverb could apply to a lot of different scenarios. But I think sometimes we get in such a hurry to deliver that truth that might wound them that we get clumsy. And we don't want to be clumsy if we're going to say something difficult. You know, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes silence is difficult for me. I, I have this inclination, like when there's something that's wrong or when there's uh, something that needs said, I want to say it. <laughs> I want to open my mouth. And sometimes I have the worst timing. Have you ever tried to help someone out and so you deliver a really hard truth and like right after you say it, you, you, then you realize that was the worst possible time I could have said that. Like I feel like I've been in those moments before where I'm like, oh, that was just the wrong timing. I had good intentions, but I feel like I just made it worse. Sometimes silence can preserve a friendship, and so sometimes it's just right to keep our mouths shut. I've certainly learned that in marriage. Sometimes it's right to just not say anything, or at least not right now. But I think it's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit, right, to have self-control, to show restraint, to be patient. Because... Even, again, even the right words delivered at the wrong time can tear down. Right words can destroy. Right words can create more problems than they solve. But we need to be patient and think about the timing of when we're going to say something. Because here, here, here's the thing. True, true friendships are relationships in your life that are intentionally battling sin. 
That's, that's what Christian friendship is, ultimately. At the, at the root of it when, it, when we say iron sharpens iron, we're talking about a relationship that's going to fight sin in the life of the other person. That's what it means for us as believers. We're not talking about friendship in some broad sense, in some loose sense. We're talking about friendship in the, con- uh, in the context of being a, a follower of God. When you have a friend in your life that you can help battle their sin and they can help battle your sin, that's real friendship. And so we need to be intentional about that, about still loving them when they're not in a, in a really healthy season of life. It's about not giving up on them. It's about being patient with them, being especially forgiving towards them. I think so, so often people feel lonely because they have this broad understanding of friendship in which they just don't tolerate other people. They, they're fine with putting up with their own sin and tolerating their own sin, but when they, 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 they struggle with true friendship over a long period of time because they just, they just will not tolerate sin in another person's life. And just rather than deal with it, rather than try to sharpen one another, they just kind of abandon the relationship altogether. I think that happens often, and so people feel lonely. But here, here, here's a truth grenade. Your friends are going to disappoint you, and you're going to disappoint your friends at some point. Just because you're fallen and broken, just like the rest of us. You're battling sin. And so if you have a friendship over the course of a long period of time, you're going to disappoint your friends somewhere along the line. And that friend is going to disappoint you. And so do you just abandon the friendship at that point and move on, find something new? Or do you have a real friendship where you invest in one another and stick with one another and help one another? Where you have a love that will, that will cover over that offense. Proverbs 17.9 says, whoever covers over offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And what it means by repeats a matter, it's not talking about doing the same sin over and over again. It's talking about being the friend who's going to cover over that sin with love. But when, and once you deal with that, once you confront it and move past it, you're going to drop it. You're not going to keep bringing it up over and over and over and repeating the matter in a way that just rubs their face in it. True friends can get past, they can get past offenses because they have love to cover that, because they can forgive one another. Just like in your marriage, you're in a constant state of forgiving one another because you're battling sin. Well, it's the same in a friendship. In a friendship, you're in a constant state of battling sin over time. And so we have to have love to cover that sin. And we have to move on. And so if you, if you have a bump in the road in your friendship and you've dealt with it, drop it. Move forward, just like you would in your marriage. Confront it. Deal with it. Sometimes that takes a season, but then move past it. First Peter 4.8, Peter encouraged the church in this way. He would say, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, sin, uh, since love covers a multitude of sins. And so Christians, we should be especially good at this because we have the gospel igniting this mentality in our life. Now, I also think it's true since we're, you know, we're not talking about marriage, we're talking about friendship. I think it's true that sometimes in in those friendships that we want to have over a long period of time, sometimes there's a time to say something, sometimes there's a time to press in, sometimes there's a time to be patient and silent and not say something, sometimes... I think there's a season in which some, some, some separation can be good. Like some space 
can be good in a friendship. Uh, time apart. You ever, how, many, how many times have you known someone that like they're best friends in high school and then they go live in college, live together in college, and then they hate each other for the rest of their lives? Like, do you know anybody like that? Like maybe you are that person. You're like, oh yeah, I hate that dude. Uh, I haven't talked to him since college. The people, they spend too much time with one another. They're great friends until they're not. Sometimes some space is good in, in a friendship. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll love this proverb. Uh, Proverbs 25, 17. This is one that often uh, we, we skip right past, but it's great. Uh, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he has his fill of you and hate you. <laughs> uh, there can be a, a, a level of spending too much time uh, together. <laughs> you know, Amanda and I were laughing at this verse like, we love hosting people in our home. We routinely have friends in our home. That, that's just who we are, who, who we love to be. Uh, but like when 8 o'clock hits, we're just like, oh, we've had a great time. Now leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I, I I'm pretty sure we're not alone in that. Like when you have kids, there just comes a point where like, oh, it's 8. That's like 1230 in parent time. So if you, if you manage to make it to 9 o'clock at my house, you'll notice Amanda has vanished. She's already in bed. You don't get to talk to her anymore. Like <laughs> uh, no, we, we love having people at our house. But when I was reading a commentary over this particular passage, I came across a quote from Ben Franklin that says this, guests like fish stink after three days. <laughs> that's, uh, that's funny. That's a little extreme, but you know what I mean. Sometimes some space can be good. And you know what? When you're in a, a genuine friendship, you don't grow insecure in those seasons of time. Because you know the friendship's real, and a little space can be good. I really think that we as Christians are in the best position to have lifelong, healthy, good friendships. Because again, we sit on a foundation of the gospel, right? We all stink after three days, but Jesus still loves us, right? Christ never, he's never going to unfriend us because of our sin. He's, he's never going to get revenge on us because we sinned against him. He's never going to give up on us because we just keep sinning and we can't stop. And Jesus is always going to be patient with us. Jesus is always going to be understanding. He's always going to be forgiving. He's, he's always going to, to be the friend in our life that will intervene in such a way that it doesn't matter how messy things get. He's there. That's the relationship we have with him. And so when you think about friendship... Don't you want someone like that in your life that you do community with as a church? Don't you want to be that person for somebody else? Are you, are you being that person for somebody else? That's a great question to ask yourself today. Because Jesus commands us to be that person for somebody else. He says it straight up in John 15, 12 through 13. This is my commandment. This is not his tip. This isn't his suggestion if you got time. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he's saying something very specific there. He wants you to love one another, not in a vague sense, not in some cultural notion of the word love. He's saying, I'm going to command you to do something. I want you to love one another specifically how I love you. He goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, than, 
that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's how he wants us to love. That's a pretty tall order. But when Jesus laid down his life for us, that's how we became a friend of God. We are told in scripture to think of ourselves as friends of God. You do not become a friend of God apart from Jesus laying his life down for you. That's, that's the means by which we can be a friend of God. He died for us when we were enemies of God, right? That's how Paul puts it in Romans 5.10. He says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we live, shall, or shall we be saved by his life? It should impact Every fiber of our being. Why are you a friend of God? Grace. It's gracious love. There is no greater love than a gracious love. And he says, my commandment to you is that you love one another as I have loved you. And so when we think of the way we should love our friends, we are talking about something that is distinctly self-sacrificing. We want to love one another. You want to have a true friend? Then you have to be willing to invest in someone's life in a self-sacrificial way. That's that's what the, the church community should do at large. And that's why our community should always deepen and grow and have a longevity of friendship because we are loving one another specifically with a self-sacrificial love because that's how Jesus loved us. And so we love as he did, and so we deny ourselves and invest in one another. And that will, as we do this in each other's lives, we will sharpen one another. And so it feels like, it feels like this type of love specifically isn't what's spoken of when we talk about love in our society, is it? I mean, we talk about a self-love so much. That's what's emphasized all the time. And so what's happening, I think, in our society, why we don't feel this kind of biblical love is because we, we promote, I think, a self-centered love. And, and the more self-centered the world becomes, the more unloving it actually feels, despite how we use the term. The more unloving the world comes, the, becomes, I think, the, the lonelier people will become. So it's, it's self-important people are going to be the loneliest people in the world. They put up a facade of how important they are and they, and they want to promote how many friends they have oftentimes in our society. And, and those are often the loneliest people there are. And, and they're the most difficult people to love. Self-important people are, are exhausting to love. But when we're falling into, when we're falling prey to that self-love, self-centered kind of way of life, this is what the gospel does. Jesus he, he steps into our life in such a way that it disrupts our self-importance. He loves us in such a way that it disrupts our self-importance because it's a gracious love. And, and when we feel and understand the, the gospel love, that is the, 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 the sacrifice of Jesus, we can't help but love him in return. That's how the gospel works. And so Jesus commands us, you need to love people like that. I'm going to grow my kingdom through that kind of love. You're going to love people like that, like how I loved you. And that is how Jesus will change the world as we take his gospel into it, right? I mean, this should be the type of environment, as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, I want this to be an environment where real friendships 
are forged. And for that to happen, we have to come back to the gospel over and over and over again, or we'll never be able to tolerate sin in the way that we should. We'll never be able to put up with one another in the way that we should. We'll always be trying to isolate ourselves and get away from one another. But it's the gospel that causes us to want to invest despite that sin, that we step into the mess and we, we disrupt the self-importance and, and invest in a way that, that is contagious and causes others to, to invest in us. There's an other-centeredness when it comes to living out the Christian life. And so I want to leave you with this thought. Like the gospel, it equips us with this special love to create relationships right now and genuine friendships right now. But when you think about how beautiful the gospel is and, and how this plays out, it not only allows us to create those friendships now, but it sustains those friendships into eternity. We'll be friends forever, best friends forever. <laughs> we like to say that, we like to claim that. But when you apply the gospel to that, our friendships are going into eternity. Like what a beautiful thing. We get to go side by side in life. We, we happen to be living in this, this time together so we can benefit from each other's presence in our lives together as we march into his kingdom. So let's, let's pray, and then we're going to press into the gospel today and uh, into a time of communion. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the book of Proverbs and just the, just the, the amazing amount of truth and wisdom that changes us there. Lord, I pray for the friendships in this room. Lord, probably if we're being really honest, the reality is that many of us have close friends who are here. Some of us have really close friends that maybe aren't here. Maybe it's because they're not even a believer. But Lord, we want to be the type of friend that is consistent all the way around with your gospel. Lord, help us to reach those really close friends in a way that would share your truth with them. And so, Lord, if, there's, if there are those in here today that they have this close friend that they've never really shared the gospel with or never really sharpened them in a way that would nudge them in your direction, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage and the wisdom and the, uh, the insight to do so. And so, Lord, equip them with the gospel in, in such a way that it would just activate, activate this desire to, to invest in a special way. Lord, that we can take that friendship to a level in which it will be sustained into eternity. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time. And, Lord, as we, as we press into a time of, of, of worship and singing about the gospel, Lord, I just pray that our hearts and minds can truly just focus on that sacrificing love, that, that atonement uh, on Calvary that made us your friend. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Mm -hmm.